Hey, thanks for having me today. This is Jazzy from Marrickville Youth Resource Centre. <clears throat> My question to you is, in your experience, what are some of the most creative projects that young people have come up with to inspire community development? Thank you. I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for uh, accepting the invite to join this podcast and record something together. No worries. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. My God, yes. 11 a.m. Yes. It's actually quite early <laughs> for me during the lockdown. <laughs> it is, yeah. Things yeah. change with the lockdown, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's absolutely um crazy how much you sort of lose your routine or, or your place of things if you're not careful. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And we can talk more about that. I think COVID and how young people are affected. I think it's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely, definitely is, especially in terms of, well, you know, us young people, I think everyone is sort of used to being out with their friends or people that they know. And, you know, it's it takes an impact to be stuck at home and not really able to do that. I think for it anyone. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's uh, very different, I guess, especially for extroverts, I think, and people who are used to be out and about. Yeah. What's been happening with you during the lockdown, Dimitrios? Ah, that's a good way to start a podcast. You asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for me, I guess, um, you know, at the beginning, I felt a bit stuck. I think a lot of people would resonate and um, I felt like, um, you know, a bit down. But uh, usually for me, I try to reframe this as an opportunity to do different things and to uh, kind of, you know, um, work a bit with myself and do a bit of soul searching. So I guess, uh, that, yeah, that's my outlook. I try to, you know, to reframe it as a, an opportunity to do something else and not try to fight it because th there is no way to change it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's um, I think the first lockdown that we went through, I had a very similar mindset to what you had. Um, mm -hmm. This is now, I think, what, the third the third lockdown where we're in in Sydney or something. Yes. So I, I think um, I've been able to to really act. I've actually been less able to to adapt to it, and it's just you know more of the same. And each time you yeah. go into it, it, it feels a bit more hopeless. But mm, uh, with that being yeah. said, it does actually give you a lot of time to think about where you're going and to really kind of find out what's important to you it gives you that reflection time and yeah, uh, yeah. that's great definitely and uh, look at this you know we're doing this podcast maybe we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for the lockdown maybe we will be both busy you know out there and so <laughs> 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 but yeah i think um uh it's hard to keep i know what you're saying it's hard to keep perspective you know especially if it happens again it is like here we go again you know and the isolation and um, the loss of opportunities, work for many people, you know, and relationships. It just takes a toll, right, for, for collectively, I think, for people. Yeah, it is. And, and you really have to ask, like, where do organizations and where do governments actually put themselves in the role of making it work for people? And I'm talking about the lockdown. How do we actually make people feel like they still belong when you know physically they're not able to and yeah and no, i think i think that's a great question you know i'm quite uh i guess you know you know that's a common 
uh, thing about us. Uh, we both love community development. And my feeling is that sometimes maybe in this time of crisis, and, you know, you can tell me your opinion, community development goes a bit into the, to the background and the nice thing to do list. When for me, it's so important when it comes to relationships, social networks, safe spaces, connection, because we are humans and um, moving things digitally doesn't always uh, satisfy everyone. I don't know. What's your experience? Yeah, well, moving things digitally really does suck, to be honest. You know, it, mm. even, <laughs> That's the plain truth. It sucks. <laughs> I can't sugarcoat it, to, to be honest. If you have... Uh, a session where you're going to facilitate in person versus yeah. online. The in-person session, I'm not saying it's going to be better, um, but I think you will always find more energy in the in-person session. I think that's just natural because you know you have people's you know energies there to resonate with and actually create something. It's much different to a screen online. You know, it I is everyone... where it's only yeah, just like a square. You know where. You can't uh, really feel the energy in the room. You can't use your body so much. You can't. It's not the same. I, I agree with you totally. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm avoiding, you know, uh, moving things digitally. I was planning a training in Sydney and I won't do it digitally. I haven't taken the decision yet, even though everyone is moving things digitally. Because for me, it's not the same, especially for the work that we do. That's not just information, you know, for the mind. Mm. It's it's relationships. It's building trust. We in ABCD we say move at the speed of trust. It's coming together. And I was even reading some articles about how like face to face contact is irreplaceable because we self regulate through yeah. uh, being you know with others like uh, through observing their breath, looking at the, in their eyes, and and you know things that we cannot do online. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Most of the communication that we have is nonverbal. And, and to see the impacts of, of what it's like to try and communicate with someone regularly online. Well, you just need to ask, you know, our teachers, they've been doing it for the past two weeks yeah. longer, um, or people who've been tutoring, I tutor. It's, it's a real mm. nightmare, to be honest. Uh, you know, a lot of the high school teachers I'm still in contact with, they, they tell me that they don't know how to cope. And, and it, it really is this big question of do we actually have an ability to cope with this and mm. and actually how do we you know anyway as as you said demetrius there's not really much you can do about this uh it's just a matter of finding better ways to strategize around it yeah but i think it's important to be honest because um i see a tendency that you know of moving things online and um you know, about uh, innovation for mental health being technological mainly through apps and things. And we know that this won't cut it, as you are saying. So mm. I think it's important to be honest um, rather than, you know, assuming that, okay, if I just, you know, transform this into a digital thing and, and use Zoom rooms and interactive tools and surveys and questionnaires, it's going to make it. We, we know it's it won't. We know that we're fundamentally human. So what do we do about it? I agree with you. It's it's important to be honest, but also, yeah, find strategies. So what are your strategies, Cosmin? You're a young person. I know you're very active in your community, and I want to ask you questions about that. So, yeah, feel free to either tell me about your community development and, you know, your experience and what you're passionate about, or let's keep talking about COVID. It's up to you. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> if you're going to put it that way, uh, Dimitrios, I really do have to... Uh, I, I guess it comes down to last year in 2020, also due to COVID, when I really got into community development properly. Okay. Before that, I was just sitting on my local youth councils, you know, just, just doing the thing that, you know, people told me to be doing, come and sit on SRC and represent yeah. the local people in your area. The only problem was that if you ever have been on a youth council or, you know, ever one of these boards, you can represent the issues in your area and you can bring them up. The only question is, are you usually satisfied with what's done about it? And what are your actual avenues then for, you know, have putting the pressure for change, really, if, if nothing is being done uh, in terms of community development there? Have you ever had experiences like that? Um, look, I've heard a lot of stories from young people that sometimes um, youth, you know, um, youth councils can be a bit tokenistic in mm. terms of not having so much power and influence and true participation, you know, and leadership. But I also have, have also heard like a few examples less than, you know, than the previous one about successful like councils, but they usually took a different form. Like in my experience, when that happens, it's not the traditional yak, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause in our experience here in Ride Council, we have a very, you know, classic sort of traditional yak format mm -hmm. where it's advisory. There's nothing really there. You have maybe a $10,000 budget for the whole council. And then you meet once every three months to, to discuss youth issues and, you know, sure. the idea there is, okay, fine, young people don't have power and influence, as you put it, but we do have the ability to communicate directly with counselors. We do have mm -hmm. the ability to communicate directly with staff. And the idea is that they listen to our problems. Yes. And they actually act on it because they recognize that we are the experts of, of our lived experience and we are the experts of what are youth issues. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, and I, I, I don't know if this is the case in every council area, that latter aspect doesn't always happen. They don't always listen to young people. There's always different priorities. Mm. There's always a budget that you have to prioritize, right? And, and sure. how do you think, Demetrius, we can actually get people, people in power to start thinking more about prioritizing community development? and actually seeing them to, getting them to see the value in it as well? Look, that's a big question um, in terms of how do you get um, people in power to listen. Um, I, I will, you know, I will answer the question, but uh, I want to approach it from two different sides, you know, yep. um, from inside and also from outside. <laughs> so what do you want me to do first, inside or outside? I'm happy to hear about, what you would do if you were in the inside and if we can't yes. yeah 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 no that's uh, that's great and um as you said you know you as a young person and young people have the lived experience and you are the experts of your life mm. um so i'm just relating some of my experience working with young people different organizations different councils you know mm. um so i feel like um okay i will approach it in terms of um you know it's a system and um 
as you said, uh, sometimes our system here in Australia is top down. It's not bottom up. That means that there are specific like agenda, strategy, strategic plan, priorities, you know, financial interest. And sometimes I feel like decisions are being pre-made. Things are mm. pre-decided and the consultation, the consultation um, might not be so meaningful in that case. It's more about ticking boxes. And I'm being honest here, you know. Mm. And other times, as I said, there is more true participation. So how, how, do, uh, how do you go about um, changing that? I feel um, there are councils that there is space for more, for more youth initiatives and youth-led projects. Um, and youth voices, you know, and to change the power dynamics. I've seen that in my work with the Cumberland Council. They dissolved their yak, and they started the Youth for Youth. And um, Youth for Youth is more young people, you know, um, sitting, co-designing youth events, co-designing um, for the Youth uh, Week. Every year, the different events and being part of different campaigns and having a bit more space to drive their own initiatives, you know, in mm. partnership with other organizations um, and with other people. And um, I feel like for me, story, storytelling is quite powerful. Um, I really believe, like I, you know, I got uh, influenced in terms of the approaches I use in terms of asset-based community development and arts and, you know, because of um, hearing like amazing storytellers, giving examples of communities, taking leadership and reinventing um, their place and young people doing amazing initiatives. So I feel like uh, storytelling and arts can be quite powerful. I don't know how much valued it is in these uh, very professionalized environments, right? Like the council can be sometimes. Yeah. Where yeah, they value more data, which is important to data tell stories as well, research, evidence. But uh, sometimes I like to question these things, you know, because um, it's good to be evidence-based, but it's also good to have like real conversations, you know, yeah. honest conversations, truth telling, acknowledge power, acknowledge privilege and change mm. the status quo. Sorry, I think I'm talking a bit more generally, but just giving a bit of a context, you know, yeah, for, for yeah, your no, question. No, no, no. But I, I'm thinking going into your case, I feel like I know you did other things. I know that. Yeah. I know you found your own solutions. But I want to say because besides young people, also as professionals, you know, like um, staff, in any role, we can also get caught in a system where we don't have a lot of influence to do genuine work. And for me personally, I think it requires a bit of reflection and be a bit realistic. Can I make a difference in the system? Am I going to be given space or am I going to be silenced? You know, and if that's not the best place for me to be, where do I have to go to make difference, you know, to be able to realize my purpose, whatever I'm meant to do in this world? And I think this is a bit of what you did, right? Yeah, that's absolutely it. I was just going to say when you were talking about the sort of lack of, to put a genuine consultation and, and council coming to decisions way before a consultation even happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's absolutely the same experience that uh, I noticed in Ride. And I noticed it so much and I was so annoyed by it that there was no real research or consultation being done to actually find out what young people wanted that I started Zoomers for Change. And over that entire lockdown period, last year back in April, I got from 70 people in the ride area, um, we ran an entirely qualitative consultation to find out what 
actual priorities, what actual initiatives did they want to see in the area? And it looked completely different to what council uh, highlighted. Wow, that's impressive. Zoomers for change. Yeah, well, you know, that, that actually is not immediately very striking because, of course, you get 70 different people in a room together. It's always mm. going to be probably a different answer every time. But yes. it just really highlights how, you know, if you're framing things differently or if you're asking different people or if you're asking different questions, you will get different answers. And, well, the only question is what answers are being asked and what answers can we, you know, better facilitate and and sort of use to actually develop policy and community programs that mm -hmm. the community actually benefits from and actually wants to see. Look, I totally resonate with that. Um, I also work with appreciative inquiry. I don't know if you have heard of, of this framework. And no, it's about really. could you give me a quick breakdown? Yeah, sure. So uh, appreciative inquiry is about uh, going into an exploration with people, you know, and asking the right questions, as you say. Because you can go into a community and ask, for example, what are the problems here? What are the issues? What are the challenges? And you mm -hmm. get particular solutions, uh, sorry, answers, but uh, also the responsibility to then act as a council or as a government or as an organization to fix those issues, right? So yeah. that's one type of inquiry and it's deficit-based. It's, it's based on problems, you know, and there right. is a lot of research around that. But you can also start asking more appreciative inquiry questions, like, uh, of course, finding out what the issues is, but also finding out what the aspirations are of people. What are their strengths? And as we say in ABCD, asset-based community development, what people care enough to act and engage them in the solution, what they call in the UK co-production. As you said, you know, then you embark on finding solutions and acting. So appreciative inquiry will just change the narrative instead of seeing a community full of issues and problems, seeing young people as, you know, let's say disengaged, negative language, yeah. negative. You see young people as uh, craving like meaning and craving like uh, an opportunity to act on their environment, to connect with other young people, to make a difference. And I yeah. think that can change the game, right? Of community development. That's exactly it. Because at the end of the day, the goal of community development, at least for me, is to help people feel strong and safe in their community, right? And, and you can't help them feel strong and safe in their community unless they feel some sense of ownership of that community. And, of course, that comes with actually feeling pride and aspiration in their community as well. Exactly. And they cannot feel, like, proud, you know, and yeah. take ownership if they don't feel genuinely involved and at the beginning, because let's not shy away from the truth, community has issues too. People have problems, you know, mm. uh, and people need to be given safe space, you know, and care to talk about their problems and feel heard until what, you know, some emergence happens and people start also talking about what we can do about these issues. And I think if this is a genuine process that we give enough time, space, good facilitation in terms of building relationships, social capital, between people connecting them, then as you said, they will take ownership and they will be proud of what they have accomplished, you know. And I have examples of that that I'm sharing, but I just feel, my feeling is we don't talk enough about these things. We don't have enough of these conversations. Yeah. And then uh, the media also bombardizes with negative views. And there is this idea of 
we have more problems with, that we can solve. We need more money. We need more programs. We need more services. And is this the solution? What do you think? In terms of solving what issues? Like yeah, do you think that a new program will be the solution or a new service or a new consultation or a new survey? I keep seeing surveys coming out all of the time, like in consultations, which is important, but I feel I, I feel like we're missing a bit of this space, safe space to have those conversations that you are talking about and that you embark with Zoomers for Change, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a, a big aspect is actually, well, actually, there's a lot of things that you brought up that I'd like to unpack start with the first one yes to, <laughs> to talk about consultation is is really um yeah you know thank you for listening to this episode one all things youth and community development with cosmin luca thanks to jazzy for a great question that gave me the inspiration to seek a young person who has made a difference in, the, in, in his community. And stay tuned for episode two of this series where Cosmin and myself will embark on an exploration of youth mental health, trauma, safe spaces and brave spaces. Thank you. I'm Dimitris Papalexis and I'm your host.